Welcome back to the special edition of Parsha Panorama. Here at the database with Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, as we return to the Dalit Parshios, or the four Parshios, after a week of a hiatus, which is not unheard of. In fact, for those who know, those who don't know, the four Parshios are never actually read in four subsequent weeks. There's always an interruption within the Dalit Parshios. But now we return to Parshas Para, and boy, do we have a lot to uncover and explain, which is, of course, the point of this particular series, this mini-series, which it's in the title, The Four Parshios Explained, and this one certainly needs explanation. That is because Parshas Para, or Parshas Para Aduma, is the Parsha that revolves around the halachos of the red cow, or the red heifer, and this halacha is known as the quintessential chok, or the quintessential statute, or the decree, the Gzeris HaMelech, which by design is not made so that we can completely understand it. To a certain degree, it's meant to be removed from us. Chazal teach us that the likes of Shlomo HaMelech, the wisest in the world, struggled to decipher this particular mitzvah. But our avodah will be to try to understand it to the best of our abilities. And... As always, we, we try to understand, even if we can't completely understand Para Aduma itself, what we want to be able to understand, especially for the purposes of this series, is why exactly we're reading about it at this particular time of the year, but also what does it have to do, what does it contribute to the larger sequence of the four partios, this larger panorama, if you will. So, in terms of why exactly we read about Parsha, the Parsha of Para. So, very simply, this goes back to sources that we've quoted in the past, the Mishnah and Megillah in Perak Lamed Mishnah Dalid. It could also be found in Meseches Megillah in Chav Tesamad Aleph, and it's also cited in the Shulchan Aruch in the Mishnah Bura in Tuf Resh Pei Hei, that's 685 in the Shulchan Aruch. And there it talks about the basic idea that para aduma, which um, the halacha states that it can purify from tumas mes. We are all tamay mes today. We are impure with tuma from dead bodies. And this is even if a person has never been near a dead body in their life, but all of us um, come from people, from descendants who have been in close enough contact to contract tumas mes. We are all Tamei Mace, and the, as Rasa Hashem Mashiach comes today, comes this week, comes sometime soon, and we will see another para aduma, and we will become purified. And the reason why this is important at this particular time of the year, just before Rosh Chodesh Nisan, is that everyone, at least on a lechatchila level, the halacha is in order to be able to consume and to offer the carbon Pesach, not in that order, to offer and to be then later consume the carbon Pesach, you had to be completely pure from Tomas Meis, right? The whole concept of Pesach Sheni comes from, um, um, originally comes from people who were not able to observe the Pesach Rishon because they were Tomei Meis, right? So we read this passage to remind us that we need to become pure. So in times in history when they actually had a para aduma, that was a good reminder, a public service announcement that it's time to get pure. 
Okay, but that's that. That's you know the basic pashup shot understanding. But as we've been saying, there's got to be something deeper beneath the surface, especially in this larger um, sequence, this larger series of the four parshios. And with some help from the yotzros and some other sort of sources, we're going to try to decipher what we can about the para aduma. While doing that, I want to focus on another couple of questions, namely. What exactly is so mysterious about para aduma? What is so unknowable? What is so, um, to, to use a word that Rav Shmulevitz from Lander uses, ununderstandable? It's his own word. So there'll be a tosvos that's ununderstandable. It seems to be that the whole, um, you know, what, the tradition revolving around para aduma is that it's something that it's quote unquote ununderstandable. You just can't get it. You know, we're not, we're, our, our brains were not made. Um, so that we would be able to understand the likes of para aduma. So, what exactly is it about para aduma? Like, there, there, there. I think there are a lot of mitzvahs that we have trouble understanding. In fact, some say that really every mitzvah is a chok, every mitzvah is a gzeres amelach, and maybe in this kind of a way, para aduma is a paradigm for a whole slew of mitzvahs. But what exactly is it? And some say it has something to do with the idea. At least um, you find this in tradition as well, that the ironic nature of para aduma, that it purifies the impure, but the pure kohen or individual who is leading the service, he becomes impure as a result. So it is metahir es and it is metame es So some say, you know, that's, that's the real mystery. How can that be? Why is that? So we'll come back to that, but I, I, I think there, there, there's something more. Is it just a matter of, oh yeah, well, you know, like, you know, why, why is it Matame the, um, the, the, the Tahir, or the Tahor? So we'll, 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 we'll come back to that um, classical answer to this question, but I think there's something much more, um, you know, profound than just this, or at least this, this concept might be a paradigm for something even larger, which again we'll come back to, um, because I think the the, the Yotzros, um, which uh, I'll mention once again, um, is the is what what's um, the the what the prayers that are inserted into the davening in some communities um, in the Shemona Esrei. So um, this is on the Shabbos for Para. Or we have it for many Shabbosos, similar to the way we have in Yom Menorah, and there are special piyutim that are added, or prayers, or poems. So um, they're classically um, are, um, are referred to as Yotzros, even though we spoke in previous shirim about how they're, um, they might actually be called Krovos, depending on where in the davening they're inserted. Um, but you can listen to the older shirim in this series for more on that. Um, but what I want to focus on is what these prayers are pointing to, what are we supposed to understand about Parshas Para and its, contri- and its contribution to the Dalad Parshios? So there's the question of that. There's the question of what is so unknowable about it. And then there's the other question. You see, because this Pashapshat answer, which explains that Para Aduma has to do with some halachic housekeeping items for preparing for Pesach, so there is another classical explanation that's given to para aduma, which you'll probably hear in many Divrei Torah this week, and that is its connection to this week's parsha, parsha's kisisa, and the cheta egel, the sin of the golden calf. Because there is a midrash that says that, the, that we let 
the mother cow, the mother heifer, come and clean up after the mess of the golden calf. That apparently para aduma also serves as some kind of kapara, no pun intended, para, um, okay, maybe it was somewhat intended, but it serves as some kind of atonement, some kind of kapara for the chet egel. Now, there are a lot of things you know, like the mishkan that serve as a kapara for the chet egel, but apparently the para aduma has something to do with that. Now, the question is, what exactly is the point of, of Parshas Para? Is Parshas Para um, something that we do proactively and prepare for Pesach? Is it something that's a response to the Chet Egel? Is it somehow both? Like, what exactly is the, the point of Paraduma? Is it just super convenient that Parshas Para falls out around the time of Parshas Kisisa in many years? In fact, that is the case. Not every year does Para fall out with Parshas Kisisa, but this year it does, which is once again why you're going to hear a lot about the connection between cow and cow, the golden calf in the Parsha, and the, the red cow in the other Parsha. But really, what is this? So, like, how does Para Aduma really respond to this? Is it just a connection between cows? So what, what exactly is it? That will have to explain. And again, what does any of this have to do with Pesach? Right? I thought Para Aduma was a Pesach idea. And I guess Shivan Panam Latorah could be that it's, a, it's, a, it's connected to both. I want to explain how really it's really all one, one, one topic. Um, and really, the deeper you look... You know, Kultar Kula is really chada. It's really one idea. And we're going to see this emerge when we finally understand certain aspects. Whatever understandable aspects there are in Para Aduma, hopefully we'll uncover it today. Okay, so these are some of the things that I wanted to think about. Okay. So when looking at the Yotzros, so I'm not going to be you know, reading any of the Pesukim in depth, though I really must say, if you look in the Art Scroll Sitter, you look at the translation, you look at the different piyutim that you find in the back of the Sitter, like, you'll be like amazed at what you see. Like the, uh, for, for one thing, the poetry behind it, but also just the, the emphasis and the elaboration on these things. It really makes you wonder, you know, um, about the Kedusha that's infused with these Shabbosos. Um, and, and really, if you want to get the fullest understanding, you, know, you, you would have to go back to those, to those uh, piyotim. But what I'll say from what I observed, uh, looking at it myself, is that there's a lot of emphasis on the mystery of Para Aduma, that it uses Lashonos of, of, of a chida, that it's a riddle, it's a, it's a puzzle, it's, it's something that... You know, people tried to decode. And, in fact, the piyot seems to imply that even Moshe Rabbeinu, we've heard of Shlomo HaMelech, but Moshe Rabbeinu struggled to understand para aduma. What I find interesting about this is that there are a handful of mitzvot that Chazal teach us that Moshe Rabbeinu struggled with. One of them is was um, actually the, uh, the Parsha that's coming up, Kiddush HaChodesh, or Parsha HaChodesh, rather. But Kiddush HaChodesh was something that Moshe Rabbeinu had trouble understanding um, the cycle of the moon. Some say, actually, par- um, Shekel, oh, wow, um, Parsha Shkalim was something that Moshe Rabbeinu struggled with. What's the third one? Zachor. Oh, the, um, so um, Zachor, we don't find any connection. But it's interesting that in the Piot for the Otsos, we find that Moshe Rabbeinu struggled with Para Aduma, but actually, Machtes HaShakel he struggled with, and HaChodesh he struggled with. Very fascinating. He didn't struggle with Zachor. 
Um, but they're, 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 he also, um, we know that he struggled with the menorah. Um, there, are, there are a handful of things that Moshe struggled with. The Para Aduma one, I don't really know um, where in Chazal, um, if someone has a source, you could definitely share. Um, share with me. Reach out to me at the database at gmail.com. That's the data, then base, B-E-I-S, at gmail.com. Um, same place for donations, for sponsorship, for any kind of dedication. But in the meantime... Um, it's interesting that three out of the four parshios Moshe Rabbeinu um, struggled to decipher, um, but the main point is that that's something that's interesting and noteworthy. And I want to come back to this because, again, if there are no other sources other than the Yotzeros here that Moshe Rabbeinu struggled with the para aduma, we have to try to understand what exactly that means. Because is it just that, oh, like, you know, he had trouble understanding the halacha, like why the halacha was the way it was? What exactly, again, this goes back to the question we, uh, we raised earlier, of what is so unknowable and mysterious about para aduma, you know, beyond any other mitzvahs. There are, there are a lot of mitzvahs that are hard to understand. So what exactly is it about para aduma? The other thing that I'll note that we find from the Yotzeros is what we said earlier about, about the Egel Hazav. The Yotzeros do make reference to the fact that the kesem or the stain of the Egel Hazav is fixed, it's rectified somehow by the Para Aduma. And we find not so much from what I was able to see myself, there's not so much about Pesach in there, about the preparation for Pesach. That which we find in the most basic sources for Parshas Para, um, a good time to mention that some say that para aduma is actually a da raisa kriyasa Torah, that we have a chiv da raisa to hear it, just like zachor, um, though it's obviously less prevalent of an opinion, but just to know. But while we're here um, with para aduma, so we, we, um, I didn't notice much about Pesach, which is what the Mishnayis and the Halacha brings down about Paraduma. It does talk about the Egel. And the, again, the question is, which one is it? Is it Pesach um, or is it, um, is, is it the Egel? So just while we're on the Pesach idea, I'll mention that there is seemingly a very strong connection between Paraduma and Pesach. Namely, the Agudas Ezov, that part of the Paraduma ritual requires a bundle with a hyssop, and you sprinkle um, um, you know, um, blood from, from that particular, um, you know, w- with that particular bundle. And we found that exactly in Pesach to Mitzrayim. The Pesach that was observed, the very first one in Mitzrayim, they had an Agudas Ezov, which we don't have anymore in our Pesach, right? Actually, we just uh, did this in Dafyomi. It was in, um, thanks to Zichru, I can tell you that it was in Mesechas Pesachim, and it was on Daf Tzadi Vav where it talks about the differences between Pesach so many years ago in, the, in, in Mitzrayim, so many generations ago, versus the Pesach of, of nowadays. There are a lot of differences. Among them is the Agudas Ezov. Apparently the Paraduma is meant to bring us somehow back to Pesach. That we have the same Agudas Ezov that we had in the Pesach de Mitzrayim. When we left Mitzrayim, apparently Paraduma brings us back to that first Pesach. That's going to be important because that's also going to be part of how we're going to understand the relationship between Para Aduma and the Egel Hazav. Buckle up, here we go. So which one is it? Is it Pesach or is it the Egel Hazav? As I already let the cat out of the bag, or maybe the cow out of the bag, haha, or the calf out of the bag, the idea, to my understanding, is that it's all one and the same. That if you think about it, the Egel 
What was the Egel? What was accomplished through the Egel? Something that we're going to see later in Parsha Panorama for Parsha's Kisisa, so just to let you in a little bit on that, is that the Egel undid the spiritual purification of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and Kabbalah Satorah, the Matan Torah. Right, that we were working on a spiritual progression, moving upward from the, the Zuhama, the filth, of the gullus that we were in, in Mitzrayim, the most spiritually and morally debased place. And we were working our way up. And we made it to the peak, Kabbalah Satura. And then the Egel happened. And that Egel represents an about-face. It represents a spiritual contamination and a, a hole in our progress. It was a, you know, imagine that you're, that you're blowing up this big balloon and then Egel Azub is the pin that pops it. And if that's true, if the Egel undoes what happened in Mitzrayim, then Para Aduma is what rectifies our progress from Mitzrayim and onward. Now, we had mentioned that Parsha Zachor, in a certain sense, also challenged the, the um, Yitzias Mitzrayim experience. Right, because we again, we were looking at Zachor in the panoramic view. What is Zachor in the map of the four Parshios? And we said that it, moving from Pesach towards the Midbar, so that was working on Emuna and then developing Bitachon, and the Amalek comes to challenge the morale, the spiritual hashkafic progress that we made, and, and, and Amalek undermines that, and he tries to make us not have bitachon, tries to ruin our bitachon, and by defeating Amalek, we, we work our way back. But what's interesting is that what Amalek did, perhaps, in the Sashkafic sense, so the Egel actually represented our own problem, where there was an infiltration. Right, Amalek on the outside looking in, okay, you know, you have to fight the battle. There's the spiritual battle against Amalek, there's the physical battle. But sometimes, you know, we, we make the mistake. And the Egil Hazav represents us making the mistake. You could fend off Amalek, who's, you know, and that's the story of Purim, trying to undermine all of our progress and trying to undermine Hashem's presence in this world, even when the miracles aren't there. And that was Parsha Zachor. Parsha Spara is where we have to fix what was destroyed by the Egel. And here's where we get to another connection to the aspect of Parsha Zachor. The main mitzvah of Zachor, besides for remembering Amalek, is Mechias Amalek, wiping out the name of Amalek, which we spent a lot of time on in the, you know, the, the, the most recent weeks going into um, Purim, but also in Parsha Panorama for Zachor. And one of the, um, the, the main things that we spoke about um, in terms of you know, erasing the memory of Amalek is the, the idea of this, this spiritual filth that is Amalek. But this actually resurfaces, I believe, in Parsha's Kisisa, as we'll see. We have another concept of an erasure, someone who, who wanted his name to be erased. That was Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, I was once at a Purim Suda with Rabbi Yeshua Rubinstein, and 
you know, I, I thought I was very clever for asking the question. You know, um, obviously, um, it was it was Purim, and this was a few years ago, and I, you know, I, I thought I was clever for making the connection and asking the question. Meanwhile, he in his in his Purim state, I said, you know, um, so I, I asked, I said, is there some kind of connection between the erasure of Amalek, Mechias Amalek, and Moshe Rabbeinu's bold? Um, statement of If you don't forgive the Bnei Israel, erase me from your entire Torah. And and I so I said, do they have to do with each other, or what do they do? They possibly have anything to do with each other? And his response was, what do they not have to do with each other? In other words, there's something. Of course, they're fundamentally connected. And I asked him to elaborate. And I'm going to come back to what he said, but I want you to keep this in your mind while we move a little bit forward to understand what exactly Moshe Rabbeinu's struggle was with the Para Aduma. Because this, I believe, can be answered by a Gemara in Barachos. This Gemara in Barachos is on Daf Zion. And the Gemara talks about a struggle that we find in this week's parasha, Parshas Kisisa, that for some reason, at this point in time, when Moshe Rabbeinu was beseeching HaKadosh Baruch Hu for forgiveness for Klal Yisrael for having done the Chayta Egel, Moshe Rabbeinu thought that this would be a good idea to address the question of theodicy. The question of theodicy, very simply, is Tzadik Viralo and Russia Vitovlo. The question of how the righteous suffer while the wicked prosper some say that the real question is how you find some tzaddikim that have ralo, some that have tovlo, some have good, some have bad, and with the rasha, you find the same thing. Some rashayim have nice lives, some have miserable lives, and the question of the seeming inconsistency. For some reason, at this point in time, Moshe Rabbeinu thought it would be the time to ask this question to try to understand the the ways of Hashem, and in fact, the Lashon. He says, Hashem, show me your ways. Explain to me. And Hashem tells him, this I'm not going to be able to fully explain to you. Not here, not in this world. Now, if you go back to Para Aduma, what is so unknowable about Para Aduma? I believe that the essence of Para Aduma is exactly this question. Moshe Rabbeinu, in trying to understand Para Aduma, was really trying to answer the question of theodicy. The question of how is it that a good person can suffer, that a, that a, that a good person, um, and, and that, that, that someone who is impure, someone who is impure, can find the sense of tahara and benefit. Right? What is the whole concept of para aduma? That it's metahir esetameim and it's metame esetahorim. Is that fair? Is theodicy fair? Moshe Rabbeinu struggles. Could be that we know we, 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 we kind of brush this off because all the hard questions we have in life we like to not ask them because we'd rather just be comfortable. And, you know, we, we've lulled ourselves into the sense of, okay, yeah, it's a question, but whatever, I'm not going to struggle with it right now. But this is, in fact, the mystery. Now, what do we know, though? We don't know why it's fair, and perhaps it's not fair. But apparently, there's such an avoda. There is a place for the savoda of the erasure of yourself for the sake of others. Right? For the Kohen engaging in para aduma to be matame himself, to be matahir others. Right? To bring yourself down to Gehenim, to bring other people out. 
And this is where we get to the real way to destroy Amalek, the Amalek inside of us. What is the whole essence of the erasure of Amalek? So one thing that we had referenced in an earlier podcast regarding Amalek and Haman is the idea of eradicating the Amalek within ourselves. The Mechia, the erasure of all traces of Amalek that exist in all of us. And in fact, where does that come from? To, to be Mevatel, the Id, the part of us, the Yetzir Hara in us, that seeks only our own self-interest. And even if, you know, again, if it's going to hurt us but to help someone else, they say that no good deed goes unpunished. Now, I think there's certainly aspects of kfira to that line, that a person should regret having done a good deed. But there is an, an aspect of MS when you consider para aduma, that there is something to be said about losing out when you help others. But the mechia of Amalek comes from mechenina misifracha, someone who engages in self-bittal for the purposes of others, for the purposes of perhaps what might be the higher Ratzon Hashem at the moment. We spoke about this with Esther Hamalka, right, in Purim Panorama. Right? You might recall, and if you didn't, you can go back and listen to it. It's still, hopefully it's still enjoyable even today. Um, but Esther Hamalka engaged in a complete bittal of herself for the sake of others for the sake of saving Kla Yisrael, even when, for her, kasher avadati avadati, that I'm going to be losing myself in all of this. Because I'm not going to, you know, her, her, with her marriage to Mordechai was at stake, her own life was at stake, and she was giving it all up. This is when Moshe Rabbeinu, at the end, says, you know, I don't know why this is the circumstance, but I'm going to say it. Mechini na and then he says, Hashem, would you be able to show me your ways? Show me, explain to me the para'aduma. And Hashem says, no. I can, you can only show you the back. You'll see something, but you won't be able to see everything. And part of this purification, which comes from this really delicate avoda, of putting yourself out and on the line, somehow brings us back to Pesach. It restores what might be broken by the Cheta Egel. And we'll have to talk more about this relationship. But apparently, Pesach has an, in, has an intrinsic connection to Para Aduma. In fact, both are called a chok. Zos chukasa Pesach, Zos chukasa Torah. They are both something that we don't completely understand. We don't completely understand, you know, why there has to be, um, a, you know, a, the, the process, the difficult process of Pesach. There, 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 there's what to be said. But part of Pesach is the understanding that we don't understand. Maybe the Chet was an attempt to understand where we absolutely could not. And part of the obedience to the Melech, the, not just the obedience, but the Amuna and Bitachon, restoring the Amuna and Bitachon, the Amuna and Bitachon that Amalek tried to contaminate us with by, by, by taking it away, that same Amunah Bitachon, which maybe we relinquished at the Cheta Egel, by being able to confront and uh, confront the questions and say, I do not know. We confront those questions and somehow we clean away the stain of the Cheta Egel. We reach back to the point of Pesach, the point of an ultimate Amunah and Bitachon. Now, this so far explains a lot of what we perhaps didn't understand before. 
And this might also explain why we find in the Yotzros a reference to the fact that Para Aduma was first taught to Klai Yisrael in Mara. Para was taught at Mara. And um, you know, the, now, um, this doesn't seem to be a universally accepted opinion necessarily, but this is one opinion in the tradition, and it's quoted in the Yotzros. And there we were taught at Mara that there was a, um, that there was a Choku Mishpat. It's interesting that Mara also, in a sense, is a Tikkun... Um, to, to bring us back to Pesach, because it was at Mara where we started to taste a little bit of what plagues look like when we're not able to drink water. Think back to Makas Dam. That was the very first of the plagues against the Mitzrayim. It was there where that we were taught our first mitzvah. And somehow, again, just like the Egilan did the spiritual tikkun of Pesach, which is also called the Chok, the, the emuna and the chok and bitachon, even when things don't make sense, that's how we understand para. Now, before we close out, I want to bring back one other thought that we mentioned in previous shiurim, and it could only be completed with Parshas Hachodesh, which will be next week. But Harav David Dov Levanon, an article that I came across, he quotes Rabbi Tzadik Akoin from Lublin, who in his pre tzadik um, for Parshas Para, he talks about uh, a, a four-part, um, uh, I guess, series of Geula. You might think of this as the Dal Lashonas of Geula, right? Which we actually also um, just um, it was just referenced in the, um, in the Daf as well. The Dal Kosios, the, the, the Rishami explains that it's a connection to the four Lashonas of Geula. And apparently, there it's it's really it's four parts, but it's really a set of three and then one. What the, what exactly this three and one is? So I'll attach the article when I post the audio, but I won't completely explain it today. But in the meantime, as far as the three first parts of this geula, so we mentioned the connection between three individuals that we find in the pasuk in Yirmiya. Um, the, the Pasuk in Yirmiya comes up in Perak Tes, Pasuk Chavbez. It's also the basis for a very famous mission in Perak Yavos, Dalet Aleph, 4.1, which talks about three individuals, the, the, the Chacham, the Ashir, the, and the Gibor. Right? Ezehu Chacham, Ezehu Ashir, Ezehu Gibor. Parsha Shkalim, we explained, um, based on this article, links to the Ashir, when it comes to wealth, the rich man. When it comes to Parsha Zachor, we explain that that was connected to the Gibor. Ezeo Gibor HaKovesh HaSietzro, there's a physical, sorry, there's a spiritual battle against the Yitzhahar, that's where true strength is. And going back to the Ashir, that's HaSameach Bechelko, that's where true wealth comes from. So what does Para correspond to? Para corresponds to the Chacham. The Chacham that Again, the Yirmiyahu cautions that the the strong man, you know, he should, you know, the warrior, he shouldn't glorify himself in his strength, nor should the rich person in his wealth, and the chacham in his wisdom, because there are certain things that are beyond the chacham, certain things that you know maybe halomi mikoladam realize that that all people can teach you something, and there might be something that you don't know, because in fact, even the greatest of chachamim, the two perhaps wisest people in the world, Moshe Rabbeinu and Shlomo Hamelch, struggle with para aduma. Para Aduma reminds us that there are things that we don't understand. A Malik might try to tell you, Zachor, right? Um, a Malik might try to tell you that there are some things because you don't understand, because there's suffix in the world. Then, 
you, you know, then, then all bets are off and there's no guarantees and there's no Akadosh Baruch Hu running the world. And that might eventually scare you into creating an ego. But the answer is, no, it's okay that there's some things that I don't understand. There's some things that I'm not going to understand, even with all of the research in the world. There's some things that we're just not going to understand. And part of accepting that is, is, is how we get back to the point of Pesach. This is how we prepare for Pesach. One more point that I'll mention is that you see clearly that there is a progression happening here in the Dalad Parshios. But, uh, but I'll mention that also we said that there looks like there's a preparation for Purim on the one hand and then a preparation for Pesach, right? That Hachodesh is clearly Pesach, Zachor is clearly Purim, but Shkalim and Para are preambles. So Shkalim, we said, you know, that, that that's the Pidyon, the Kapara, the Kofar Benafsho, the money that's going to be a restitution for our souls when Haman tries to destroy us. And if that's what the Shkalim is, then what is the para to HaChodesh? What is the para to Pesach? If Shkalim was a financial kapara, then para is a spiritual kapara. It's a tahara process. There's a purification. It's something happening from the inside out. Shkalim is the money. It, it corresponds to us. And it's something that we do with our bodies. But... It's, you know, and it's more about the giving of ourselves. Para is about the giving of our own minds. The sacrificing of our minds on the Mizbech and saying, I don't understand, I, I, I don't get it, and that's okay. Because I'm not meant to understand everything. This is the sp- part of the spiritual rectification that needs to take place before Pesach. Right? Some, some questions that maybe the Russia and the Haggadah doesn't have the answers to, and he, he tries to convince us that if he doesn't have the answers, then no one has the answers, and that answers don't exist. So we'll, we'll get more. We'll you know we'll get to more about him. You know when Pesach gets closer. What we are clearly seeing is that there is so much beneath the surface in the Dalad Parshios, and when we get to Hachodesh Bezos Hashem, we'll have the fullest picture, the fullest panoramic view. But this really takes us through some of the many mysteries that underlies the Parsha, the mysterious Parsha of Parsha's Para. Thanks for joining us here at the database. Bezra Hashem will pick up next time with Parsha's Hachodesh.